are listening to episode 42 of Chirps, the St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex with special guest Ben Godar, and the Cardinals are good again? Hey everyone, welcome to episode 42 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. Uh, as you can tell, this is not Tara Wellman doing the introduction like she normally does. This is Alex because Tara had to step out for this evening. But I am joined uh, live from Des Moines, Iowa by uh, a returning guest, Ben Godar of uh, Viva Alberto's. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back on. So it's always nice to be invited over somewhere, but then when you're invited back again, it means yeah. that like it actually went well the first time. Exactly. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've kind of uh, regained some of my best fan in baseball swagger with how well this team has been doing lately. I've oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I've whenever I see other uh, fans of other teams, I I strike up conversations with them and tell them how they don't quite understand baseball yeah. on, the, <laughs> on the same level that we do. Uh, yep. I'm thinking of retweeting that. Uh, do you remember that cartoon? I don't know if it was the Post Dispatch, but someone made of like the the Slugger Bird saying the World Series trophy was not for sale to the Dodger guy with all the money bags. You know, oh, all those obnoxious 2013 uh, yep. when we weren't maybe as self aware as we are now about uh, our reputation <laughs> as a fan base. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe we should just steer back into that skid. Oh, 100. percent. I uh, well, as I told you earlier, I was uh, at the board meeting for my uh, local little league that I'm, I'm on the board and uh, tonight and I was uh, taunting the Cubs fans who were on the board when I was there so it really yeah it did it felt like it felt like old times so wonderful I think I've asked you this before but I don't know if we are recording but can you remind me what is what is the demographic of Cardinals Cubs fans in Des Moines because obviously the Cubs have the AAA team there so I would, yeah. I would think they dominate but how does that work out yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they dominate, um, but there's definitely a plurality of Cubs fans, and I think it is just because the the, the I Cubs are actually the longest tenured affiliate of any minor league team. So they've been so the Des Moines AAA team has been the Cubs AAA affiliate since uh, I believe about the mid '70s. So, um, okay. so they have a long history there. Um, so so I think that kind of gives them the lead. But then you know Iowa, we're in that pocket where uh, you know we're not we're blacked out from all of the surrounding. Uh, you know, games from all these teams, but we get kind of a smattering of everything. You know, you get Twins fans, you get Royals fans, you get some White Sox and Brewers fans, but it's it's definitely predominantly, you know, Cardinals and Cubs. And, uh, you know, so I don't know if I had to guess here, I'd say maybe, I don't know, probably 70, 30 Cubs, but actually I guess it's less than uh, just among Cardinals Cubs fans, but, um, you know, probably a good 30% of the fans here are maybe divided up between the other teams. That was a really horrible, uh, you know, framing of all the percentages there. So I'm just going to back out of this, but uh, <laughs> no, no, plenty, plenty of uh, Cubs fans here, but, but a lot of Cardinals fans too. So, you know, it's not too bad. Cool. I, I don't know if you could hear that beep on my end and that's because I'm all of a sudden getting text messages from a couple of friends because the Cardinals just took a four, one lead on a two out double by uh, Colton Wong, the score Harrison Bader from first. Uh, so they have a four, one lead in the, uh, Bottom in the top of the seventh. Excuse me. This game has resumed after a brief rain delay in a dome, mind you, or a, not a dome, but at least a stadium with a roof. So right. rain delays probably shouldn't happen. Yeah, um, yeah. But the Cubs are also winning. Last I checked, they were up big on the Mets um, in the eighth inning. So we can perhaps assume uh, the Cubs are going to win tonight. And uh, you know, let's uh, 
let's think the Cardinals are going to win tonight, or let's assume this score, there's a good chance this score will hold because they've been winning a lot lately. Uh, that'll put them three games up with 31 to go. And maybe that's still too many games to think too hard about this stuff or to get too, I guess, not confident or anything, but they are in a good spot. Um, you know, like let's say they went 16 and 15 from here on out. The Cubs would have to go what? 20 and 11 just to leapfrog them in the regular season. So they certainly are in a good spot. Yeah. But do you feel this is, I don't know if for real or what are your thoughts on, on this run? You know, they're, they're almost on the verge of winning 15 of their last 18 games, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the whole season long, I have really thought and said, you know, I think the Cubs are probably a better team true talent wise, you know, uh, and I, I, I mean, I believe that until, uh, you know, maybe three weeks ago or so. And I've, I mean, I've a hundred percent flipped on that. And, you know, and throughout the season, I mean, obviously the Cubs were ahead of the Cardinals for, for a lot of the season, but you know, the, the Cardinals kind of passed them a couple times and it was often close and, you know, but I just sort of felt like, oh, at the end of the day, I think the Cubs are going to, you know, pull a little bit ahead, but uh, you know, in these last few weeks, and especially now with, you know, the the, the Cardinals having, uh, I believe, passed them now in run differential, that was a big thing for me, you know, was, you know, there was a point where their records were close, but the Cubs had a significantly higher run differential, you felt like, okay, you know, that's in their favor, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid at this point, and I'm really believing that you know I think the Cardinals are the are the better team. I mean, it's still very close. It wouldn't take much variation for it to go one way or the other. But um, no, I'm 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 feeling more and more confident. How about you? I, I think I could best be described as uh, very cautiously optimistic, um, mostly because that four game series that's looming in Wrigley. Uh, it kind of just feels like we're going to lose three or four. I, I don't know why yeah. I feel that way. And maybe, um, you know, that the Cubs teams, the Cubs team that we played earlier this season at Wrigley is going to be, you know, the, you know, this, this version that we're going to meet is going to be a little more banged up, a little less, uh, you know, a little more demoralized. I don't mm-hmm. know, but you know, we just haven't played where we haven't won there yet this season, now that I think about it. And so, right. I don't know. Let's say worst case scenario or bad scenario, we lose three or four. Well, and, and let's say everything else is even heading into our last series with the Cubs. We would only have a one game lead uh, going into that final three game uh, home yeah. series against the Cubs, and obviously that's that's going to be some you know some very important games. So I'm I'm optimistic. I feel good about this team. Uh, I think the Cubs, you know, that they, they were flawed last year, but still very good. But they have major flaws this year which is helping us right now ignore some of the cardinals flaws you know it's almost like the cardinals are good because or we're feeling good about the cardinals one because they've been playing well but also because there's no one in that nl central who's just grabbed the division right right yeah but you know again i i've gotten to the point where i feel like the I, I think the Cubs flaws are are more significant than the Cardinals flaws. Uh, I mean, I still think the Cubs have a superior offense. Uh, but you know, honestly, I think the Cubs pitching is quite bad. Uh, you know, their I mean, their bullpen is pretty pretty obviously a disaster. But you know, on the starting pitching side, I mean, you know, beyond Hendricks, and I know you Darvish has kind of turned around a little bit here in the second half, but uh, it's 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 just it's just not a strong staff. And um, you know, and I and and you know the Cardinals pitching. On the other hand, the uh, you know the Cardinals bullpen has been excellent. You know, and the starting pitching is is you know pretty flawed, especially in that number four, number five spot. 
But, you know, one, two, and three, I, I feel, you know, um, I mean, not great about. I don't think this is like a great pitching staff. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I I'm, would say I think the Cardinals are, you know, a better better pitching staff than, than the Cubs for sure. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think I might agree, which I would have not felt that way even as recently as two weeks ago. But um, as I mentioned, the Cardinals are currently up 4-1. And I was looking at some of these stats um, since August 9th when they kind of started this run, when they returned from that disaster uh, out west. Um, again, let's assume tonight let's, – let's assume they win tonight just for the sake of what I'm about to say and not because – we mm-hmm. think that's for sure what's going to happen because you never want to assume wins when especially the other team still has nine outs uh, on the table. But if the Cardinals win tonight and they hold, again, the Brewers to two runs or, 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 or fewer than that, in these 18 games when the Cardinals uh, would say go 15-3, and three, nine times they've held the opponent to two runs or less. And, yeah. and that seems pretty huge for for this team and not what we expected from them i don't know and and like just a couple weeks ago and the offense obviously you know last night they put a ton of runs on the board they put a bunch of runs up against the rockies um you know not great teams but as everyone else has been saying and they're exactly right this is exactly what you do against bad teams you you have Mm -hmm. to beat them if we were struggling against them we would be we would simply be you know losing our minds so and even like the edmund thing which was I don't know if you listened to Tara and I talk last week, uh, and I mentioned that. Well, yep. you know, we we're trying to deb- like figure out what Schultz's reasoning is uh, for batting him second, um, and, and I'd like to kind of hear your thoughts on that as well. But one of them was, well, you know, perhaps he doesn't think that's where his stats belong, but he thinks that's who the type of hitter he could be. Uh, yeah. And the funny thing about Edmund is, in his last seventy-five plate appearances, going back to August seventh, I was looking at this. He's, he has a slash line of 371, 413, 529 with 148 yeah, WRC+. Plus. That's going into tonight. And that's also with like a 417 batting average on balls in play. So, you right. know, I, I guess he fits the profile of a guy who might have a typically a higher Babbitt, but obviously not that high. But he has been a lot better than how than he was, you know, I guess leading into the month of August, which is what was giving us so much heartburn about him seemingly playing every day. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, one thing I often say is I, I like it when the team is ahead of me. I like it when the team is ahead of me, you know, like they should know a lot more about their players than I do. Um, You know, I'm just, uh, you know, a guy that like blogs about the team, uh, you know, on the internet. And so, uh, I'm I'm hopeful that that might be the case with Tommy Edmond, you know, um, because I was absolutely one of those people, you know, up until you know a week or two ago that was kind of you know, and I, and I like Tommy Edmond a lot, and I'm I'm you know kind of excited about his you know potential as you know what I kind of anticipated being you know sort of a super utility type guy, etc. But you know this season there was just that like you know where, where Chill just was penciling him in every day, and especially when he was playing him in right field, and the you know the numbers just weren't supporting it I, I was I mean I'm right with you guys I was like oh, why is he doing this why why does he need to be in the lineup every day why does he need the best second every day uh you know but kind of as I was wringing my hands about that uh you know Edmonds kind of started uh you know performing more like that of course I see he's, he's over four now tonight but um you know so I don't know I mean there may be there may be just more in his profile that they see that we don't know about that's there so I think that's um you know that's one thing and then of course with uh 
you know, with Wong having been hurt here for a couple of days and, and, you know, Carpenter maybe kind of essentially losing his spot to him too. That's, that's just, I think a lot more palatable too, you know, is the way Carpenter has been hitting, you know, Edmund in that spot feels a lot better than, you know, when it was Edmund in right field. What do you point to, I, I guess, mostly, because uh, I'm trying to figure out what has really happened or, or, or is it just that we haven't been playing great teams or who, who am I missing that's gone on some crazy streak uh, in these last 17 or 18 games that has really like put the team on, on their back? Because I, I can't really think of a guy. I feel like it's been a team effort. Is there, is there someone I'm not thinking of who's just gone crazy and somehow he's slipping my mind? I don't think I don't think so. I, I um, and again, maybe there's somebody really obvious that I'm not thinking of either. But I, I just I feel like you know everybody's really performing well, and and a lot of these guys had points or even long stretches of the season where uh, you know they weren't they weren't playing like the guys we kind of expected them to be. And and really, everyone has been playing you know pretty well through this stretch, and particularly hitting well. So um, I saw somebody on Twitter kind of asking, you know, what the, what the team's triple slash stats were since, uh, since Buddha was fired, which, I mean, obviously that's a ridiculously small sample size and kind of preposterous to even think about, but at the same time it was like, well, I don't know. I mean, they are, they're certainly performing more consistently, uh, with the bat. So, you know, who knows, maybe down the line, that is something that makes, makes some sense. But, uh, no, I just, I feel like they've been, um, I feel like they've been really consistent. And then I think another big thing is just that, uh, you know, they're not, I mean, frankly, they're just, they're not letting, you know, Michael Walker lose games for him in the, you know, first two innings, uh, which uh, a lot of, you know, for a lot of the season, that was just kind of, you know, that, that fifth day of the rotation was just almost a, almost a lost cause too many times. I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Cause I want to talk about not necessarily Waka, but Schill and his, uh, I guess, usage of Waka. Um, I want to say, I don't even remember now if it was Waka's last start or the start before that, that he, he pulled him, I want to say maybe at four and two thirds or four and a third, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Waka was in line to get the win, but there was, uh, you know, potential trouble brewing, uh, and, and she got him out of there. We saw last night, um, this being Monday night took Wainwright out with a, I think it was a seven run lead at the time. It was, although someone can correct me if I'm wrong, took Wainwright out with seven run lead after three and two thirds. And, and frankly, I loved it. I thought, you know, we know Wainwright's splits on the road, whatever. Uh, he'd pitch fine up to that point, but there did feel like there was possibly trouble happening there. And if you allow the Brewers to, you know, tack on three or four runs in the fourth inning, five innings ago, this is still a ball game. Yep. So I yep. love the fact that I don't think he makes that move in June. Right. Um, but I love the fact that, She'll, at least in my opinion, see, knows what's happening here. Knows that mm-hmm. you have to manage each game like it's like it's gold. Like each game is so valuable, and he, even with a seven run lead, or what, was it seven runs? Did you remember? Am I? Yeah, no, I'm pretty I sure. Like it was nine, yeah, nine two. Yep. Even with a seven run lead, that there's just no messing around. We're, we have yep. we need to win this game. Yeah. No. It's it's shifting into. Uh, you know, playoff mode or at least kind of September mode a little bit early. And I'm with you. It's 100% the right thing to do. But, you know, it's also, um, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, Wainwright, he he was right up around 90 pitches, I think, at that point anyway, you know. So it's like, I mean, he, well, I don't even know. The alternative, it was, you know, he wasn't going to stay in for very long anyway. And, and yeah, it, it looked like one of those innings where he, you know, he'd already had two on base. And, 
it, you know, it looked like he was about to, you know, give up a home run or something. And then you're exactly just like you said, then you're, you're down and you're behind the eight ball. So no, I'm really, um, I'm really excited to see that. And I, you know, I was one who was pretty vocal and frustrated that they did not acquire any kind of starting pitching help at the trade deadline. Um, and, and especially because to me, just about anybody they could have acquired would have been an upgrade, certainly over Waka's you know position, but it also just would have given them some more depth there for you know Waka, uh, Wainwright, or you know, or potentially anybody else. So it really just flummoxed me that they didn't make the, that move, and I'm I'm still you know bothered by that, even though obviously the results have been very good since then. But I feel like the one thing that uh, Schilt can do and has done from a manager's perspective to kind of mitigate that is you know, to be more aggressive about using that bullpen. And so, you know, they haven't, um, you know, they haven't been so radical as to, you know, use a, use a, an opener and, and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, uh, I mean, Waka for really, I think the, the, about the last half of this season has essentially been a, you know, a piggyback starter. And there was times right. where he, he and Ponce de Leon were basically going to be kind of a tandem sort of start. And, and, uh, lately Helsley's often kind of been in that role. And, and yeah, as you said, that, that the last night's uh, game, uh, with Wainwright really kind of showed he's willing to do that with Wainwright as well. And I think that's exactly the way to manage this team. And, you know, we're only a few days away from those September call-ups, which is going to make that, you know, even easier. You're going to have Ponce de Leon back on the roster. Uh, you potentially might even have an Austin Gomber. I mean, who knows? He may not have much, you know, in him. But but even just to have those kind of guys there to be guys that, you know, if, if you've got a starter who's kind of, you know, wavering, uh, you know, after three innings, you know, that's a guy you can maybe plug in for kind of a middle three innings and then and then you get it to your more kind of traditional bullpen. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's exactly what he should do. And it looks like that's what he's going to do. Yeah, the, the September call-ups feel like they couldn't happen uh, almost at, at a better time. I You know, I think uh, Brevia, Gant, and Gallegos all rank in the top 12 in the National League in innings pitched. Um, and, yep. you know, we, we saw them last year uh, – run out of gas in September, uh, not necessarily because of the bullpen, but, you know, you, you don't want to have too much mileage on your bullpen arms come September right. if you're still playing in important games. Uh, right. It kind of did the same. Uh, it, you know, it didn't quite feel as real in 2017, but if you recall, they did kind of make a late run, I want to say, in, in mid-August in 2017, where they may have even been tied for first, uh, although still right. only like five or six games over yeah. 500. Yeah. Uh, but they kind of did the same. They faded again at the end of the stretch. So that might also add why I'm, you know, very cautiously optimistic. Um, I'm on guard. I'm happy, but I'm also on guard to, uh, you know, right. the uh, the month in front of us. But, yeah, it does seem like it would be great to kind of give, uh, you know, what we have is a very good bullpen. But if we could give them some rest as well or, or not, you know, not if we are going to be taking out pitchers like Wayne Ryan Waka as shield has done. And I think as we both agree, we should that we have options besides those guys as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. Speaking of managers, uh, have you been following any of this Joe Madden stuff in terms of like, will he be back? Uh, won't he be back? Uh, um, just from a, uh, I mean, from, from a distance. Well, I was just going to say, my opinion on this is, I, I think, different from most of smart baseball Twitter uh, or smart baseball in general. Um, you know, d- certainly complacency can be the enemy of progress. And I, I think as Cardinals fans, we can talk about that as, as, uh, as well as anyone. But let's say we're like the Cubs, you know, don't make the playoffs and, you know, everyone's going to mm-hmm. be upset. 
um, in, in Cubs Nation or, or whatever. And so they get rid of Madden, which seems very likely to happen. I mean, because he is basically a lame duck manager right now. Yeah. I think that's insane. I know he's 65. He's he's old. He seems a little grumpier than right. he has um, in years past. Uh, and maybe it, this could be one of those things where if he if he is gone, we're going to hear like, oh yeah, there was friction all season, you know, between him and Theo or Hoyer yeah. or whoever. But I don't know. I still feel as though it's not as easy to find a a solid manager as as we might think it is. And Madden, say what you want about him, has been a very solid, solid manager. Yeah, that's, you know, that's an interesting question. And I I don't know how easy or hard it is to find a solid manager these days, to, to be honest with you. Um, you know, there's things these days, uh, I, I, you know, and I, I like Mike Schilt a lot. I just on a kind of personal level, I think Mike Schilt seems like a great guy. Um, in general, and a lot of this is by comparison to the guy who came before him, but I like a lot about what he does, you know, as a manager, we already talked about the way he manages the pitching staff. I think he does a really good job with that. Sometimes, you know, lineup construction and some of that. Um, I feel like it's, you know, maybe too long deferring to veterans and that kind of thing, but you know, overall I'm, you know, pretty, pretty supportive of him. One thing I've said though, that I, I kind of miss is, you know, when, when Tony La Russa was there, you had that, feeling like there was, uh, you know, that he was putting pressure on the front office, you know, that the front office Mm -hmm. had the things they wanted to do, but, but Tony had his kind of way he wanted to do things too. And he was going to, you know, exert some pressure and, you know, to get things done. I think, you know, kind of most famously in 2011, uh, you know, you have the, uh, you know, the, the trade that, uh, that brought in, uh, 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 oh gosh, I'm blanking on all the relievers. Uh, brought in Zepchinski and Dotel, and yeah. you know that that, but that whole that whole kind of reshuffling there that sent Colby Rasmus off, you know that felt very much like a Larusa uh, driven thing. Saying, "Look, you have not given me the tools that I need. This is what I need you to do." And the front office, you know, kind of did that. Schilt, I feel like, is more indicative of what we see with a lot of managers who, uh, you know, are kind of organizational guys, and he even uses that term for himself a lot. You know. Um, you know, and I think there's kind of, there's pluses and minuses with that. Um, I think that a lot of times when there, the, the friction between the manager and the front office, that can certainly be bad because you sort of have competing visions and just, I mean, any of us that have been in a workplace where you, you, you know, people are not on the same page, that's, you know, that, that there's problems there. Um, but you know, at the same time, uh, I, I liked having that the manager in there as sort of a voice for this is what I need to win when everyone in the front office, you know, to some extent is more beholden to the ownership who have their eyes on profits and things like that. So uh, kind of going around the block here, I guess, sort of answering your question. But, I, you know, as far as what I'm at, you know, what makes a good modern manager? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of these guys, I, a lot of guys, especially some of these, you know, much younger managers, like guys that are my age, and I think even some of them a little bit younger, you know, a lot of them are guys that maybe are more sort of that organization, you know, those organizational guys that are kind of executing that organizational philosophy there. And it seems like when that's done well and everyone's on the same page, that's really solid. And maybe it doesn't even matter to such a great degree who that specific personality is. But on the other hand, you you miss out on some of that productive tension that can come when you have a couple of, you know, creative forces sort of opposing each other. I, I think that puts it perfectly, at least with... Um as far as LaRusso is concerned, he better or as well as anyone worked well with a house divided. Yeah. Uh, like, 
he, you know, he had uh, obviously the rest and stuff. Who was the shoot? It slipped my mind. Who was the real reliever that flipped him off from the bullpen? Um, oh gosh, guy with the dirty hat guy. Uh, oh, Steve Klein. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Steve Klein flipping him off from the bullpen. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, you got the sense that uh, a lot of his players, you know, didn't necessarily love hanging out with LaRusse every day. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would love hanging out with LaRusse oh, every day. No. I remember reading one time that uh like LaRusse, Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells are like all kind of like a really good friends. They're like right. a crew. And I, I remember thinking like I can't imagine a worse time. Oh yeah. Than, than, like, than like sitting down for like dinner with the with those three. No, that's but that's like the suicide squad of sociopaths right there. <laughs> right. But but back to like your point, it that really worked for Larusa, uh, and and he was damn good at that. Yeah. He was he was like the players you knew at least respected him. Yeah. And yeah. I you know I started this off with Madden. Maybe yeah. Madden is not as well as kind of navigating those waters, or maybe maybe those days are over yeah. where where you just. I, I think that's kind of what you were alluding yeah. to. That it just doesn't quite work that way anymore. Yeah. But I still look at a guy like. A guy with like Madden's pedigree, juxtaposed against the Cubs' history yeah. of you know that we all know that you know they didn't win a World Series um, until he came in, or at least yeah. you know for 116 years. Uh, and, and maybe I would just miss having him over there because he's so fun to dislike. Yeah, no, he he is a great villain. I um, he grates on me. I, I find him incredibly irritating, and I think that would be true even if you weren't the Cubs manager, but since he's the Cubs manager, it, you know, obviously just kind of, you know, cranks it up to 11 for me. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I've been, I just, it struck me today that, uh, you know, Buster Olney's wrote that famous book, the last night of the Yankees dynasty. Right. Uh, I feel like you could write a book about the Cubs called the first and last night of the Cubs dynasty about the night they won the 2016 world series, you know, the way things mm-hmm. are going, because I tell you what, that was, I mean, that was primed to be this, you know, real dynasty. And, and don't get me wrong, from 2015 until now, they've been very, very good. But, you know, it's it's definitely, it hasn't reached the levels that people thought it would. And it's it's really falling off this year. And, I mean, again, we're, you know, knocking on wood. Think they could still, of course, win this division. But, you know, they're, they're, they're trending very much in the wrong direction. And the way that they've, uh, the way that they've traded away talent to supplement what they kind of thought was this core, um, you know, has left them without a lot, uh, you know, in the minor leagues. And, and I think the biggest thing with the Cubs is, you know, they, they just have not developed pitching at all. And that's, I mean, that's why that pitching staff is so bad. I mean, they just, you know, for all of the amazing success they've had, you know, drafting and, and with, with hitters, which has been remarkable. I wish the Cardinals had that kind of success. I mean, there's just, I mean, there's just been a dearth of pitching to come through that organization, you know, and that's a significant problem. And, and so I feel like, the Madden thing is really just kind of people, uh, you know, Cubs fans, Cubs, Cubs organization, just the kind of, you know, Cub world maybe coming to the terms with the this idea that this, you know, dynasty is not really happening. Things are kind of moving in the wrong direction. And so, you know, maybe it's that point where now some sort of changes need to be made. And, well, you know, firing the manager is just kind of, you know, one of those things you do when you're starting that sort of finger pointing and process of elimination, trying to, you know, sort your way through that. Sure. It's like the the Dodgers, even though they haven't won a World Series yet, uh, it could just be a matter of time or it right. could just be one of those things where, you know, it's yeah. hard to win the World Series. You have to win three right. series in a row. But the Dodgers kind of blew past them as the premier team in the National League. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we all thought 
that was kind of going to be the Cubs, you know, winning 100 plus games every year. Uh, although the Dodgers didn't quite do that last no. year, but they were, uh, you know, their third time through the order, whatever no. those other, you know, that they were much better than their record. Um, and if you look at where the Dodgers are from a standpoint of their farm system, it's almost like, oh, how, yeah. do they, how do they yeah. do this? You know, and, and I think a lot of us thought that was going to be the Cubs. I, I like what you said, I, 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 I was still at Viva Alberto's when they won the World Series. And the next morning, I wrote something basically saying, like, look, a couple of years from now, say two or three years from now, the Cubs could, ha- could have as many World Series in most of our lifetimes as the Cardinals. Um, and that, that seemed like a very tough pill to swallow. And now, um, and again, like you, I'm not, the, the Cubs are still obviously in very good shape. They're still one of the better organizations in the league. But we could be looking at a situation where, this this dynasty is two division titles in five seasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know the uh, the the other thing is, and I think that's a great comparison with the Dodgers. You know, we'll look at the Cubs' success. I mean, what have the Cubs done aside from all the talent that they banked from tanking? I don't think they've done a ton. You know, and and they they did very very well with the talent that they banked both through draft picks and through some savvy trades while they were you know kind of prioritizing a certain future and they you know they did that really well. I mean, the, you know, the Dodgers have built a perpetual motion machine over there. You know, the Dodgers win 110 games every season and still have the number one farm system in baseball. I mean, that you know they're just they're on another planet. And you know, to me, the the you know the championship thing is just. You know, I mean, I've watched enough playoffs to feel like the playoffs is, is kind of, you know, it's largely a coin toss and the Dodgers just haven't won the coin toss yet. But um, I mean, as an organization, I think they're, you know, aside from the, with, you know, with the, you know, potentially the, include the Astros in that conversation, you know, they're pretty unparalleled. Absolutely. Like the, uh, I was going to bring up when you asked that question, I was going to bring up, you know, some of those trades that Cubs made, obviously the Hendricks trade and the Arietta yeah. and Strope trade and, you know, yeah. Rizzo and, um, the, the Russell one no longer looks as great, you know, as, as it once did for both reasons on and off the field. Um, yeah, well, but, I mean, I just thought today, Glebar Torres and uh, Jorge Soler have about 70 home runs between them. <laughs> I, I still get the uh, Jimenez trade. I The, Tor- the Torres trade is, uh, uh, Glaber Torres trade is much harder to, to justify, um, especially yeah. when, and I guess this shouldn't matter all that much, but especially when you see Chapman right back in a Yankees uh, a uniform. Um, but I don't know if we, uh, I don't know why I insist on always talking about the Cubs. Uh, I think I did this last time you were on too, but you and I both enjoy dunking on the Cubs and uh, <laughs> when we're three games up on them, you know, we can kind of, we can kind of strut and, you know, yeah. so, and yeah. you know, if they, if they, if they sweep us in those, you know, seven of those last 10 games we play them, we'll just scrub this from the internet and, you know, no one yeah, yeah. Let's certainly hope this doesn't age poorly. But one of the, I think one of the reasons why I'm excited right now is because I think back to 2011, and you know, obviously Game Six um, that stands out the most. You also had the Carpenter Holiday game, game, you know, Game Five against the Phillies. But almost the most fun thing about that season was September. Just we're like waking up every day and it felt like a playoff game was on that night. Yeah. You know, we're like every game mattered, just kind of like, uh, and, and this is a little different because, you know, the, the Cardinals right now are sitting kind of on top of a, I don't want to call it a perch, but they're, they're, you know, they're in first versus there where they, 
2011 where it just felt like they just had to win every game and hope the Braves collapsed, which somehow happened. But just the idea of scoreboard watching every game is uh, very important um, for an entire month. Like that can be so much fun. Uh And we talk about, you know, I think almost too much we talk about like, you know, what's wrong with baseball, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think we almost take it too personal when people, when people say like, when people dunk on baseball. But when baseball is good like that, where every night you're scoreboard watching, it's hard to get better. Yeah. It's hard to find something better than that. I agree. I agree. And now, I mean, you know, now we're getting into like, you know, kind of like Ken Burns baseball territory here, but uh, I'll go there with you. I'll go there with you. No, but you know, to me, it's the, it's the daily, it's the dailiness of baseball that just really separates it, you know, and the fact that there is a game every single day. So for that baseball season, which, you know, takes up a good half, half of the year, you've, you've got that, you know, kind of, it's, it's like a, it's like a companion basically, you know? And so, and, and, and obviously it's, it's really never better than, I think, you're right in a you know playoffs but even you know extending that when you're when you're September you have a September that's basically like it's already playoffs because you're you're in a you know divisional race that's that tight and everything so I'm I'm really looking forward to this next month me too I'm gonna I'm gonna google some quotes from Doris Kearns Goodwin yeah. and George Will <laughs> and pass them off as my own real real quick here uh, I'm, I'm going to find some like tinkly piano music I can kind of you know play in the background while you read those. So, do you watch baseball? Uh, the documentary when it's on, uh, like say MLB Network or? Uh... Um, I watched it through one time. You know, year. I mean, ten, fifteen years ago. Um, and yeah. and I think I've I, I've turned it on. You know, it, because it, like it was on TV or something, and I've watched bits of it since then. But um, I, and, and I I enjoyed it, but I've you know, it's not something I guess I feel like I have to revisit. Do you? Is that when you go back and watch? If it's on MLB Network and there's nothing else, um, even re- re- modestly grabbing my attention, I I will watch it a little bit. And I, I think probably maybe seven eight years ago, I I watched probably uh, the first seventy five percent of it. Yeah, and. It's so well done. Yeah. It's very well produced. Um, the chapters on the Negro Leagues are like, if I was a, any sort of teacher, I would, I would probably show them to my class. Mm-hmm. But it does suffer from kind of like just that romanticism about baseball, which I actually eat up. You know, I, I can recognize that, hey, this is kind of bullshit, but I like it anyway, right. you know, when they're talking like that. Right. But uh, also, like, it really is, and I hate being this guy, but it really is, like, East Coast biased. Yeah. L- like, I would say almost, like, 80 to 90% of it is about, like, the Red, Red Sox, Yankees, Giants, Dodgers, um, you know, right. I'm talking Brooklyn Dodgers, New York, you know, New York Giants. Right. Um, and they barely get into, like, Detroit and St. Louis and Chicago. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe that's just my biased ears listening, but that's how I I remember it. No, so I've kind of like an interesting relationship with it. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and I feel like a lot of his sources are your kind of you know New York and New England sort of literati type figures, you know, and your you know he he spent a lot of time on you know. Uh, you know, people's, uh, you know, living rooms in Vermont, you know, as they, you know, watched about their, you know, childhood going through the turnstiles at, uh, you know, the polo grounds and whatnot. And yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot more of that. So I don't remember, I really remember, I, to be honest, I remember very little about 
St. Louis in there. Um, you know, and I, the other thing about baseball too, I, I actually tried to show it to my, uh, my oldest son uh, a few years ago and he's probably a little too young for it. But the other thing that I realized was a problem once I started showing it to him is, you know, the, I mean, the first, you know, like several, several hours of it are, you know, just all like that sort of really, really like proto baseball. And then, you know, it's just about, you know, like, you know, you know, German immigrants like stabbing each other and, you know, backroom bars and you know whatnot and it's like it, it just it's so far removed from anything that it's like and he i was sort of right. getting interested in baseball but you know he's like you know like what do i you know like what do i care about these like you know filthy guys that look like they're maybe like coal miners or something like standing in front of a train in like you know 1905 like what does this have to do with this sport that i like to watch so I think also uh, when it actually debuted, you know, on PBS way back when, that was when like you had like five channels. Yeah. You know, so, so it, it seemed very important and awesome at the time. Um, and again, it, it is good. It's very well done and well produced and all that. But I, I think also like, I, I, I think I'm also holding a little bit of a grudge because, you know, when he, he went back to that well and did like the, I think it's called like the 10th inning or extra innings. It's a, it of course is about the 2004 Red Sox. Oh, um, right. Yeah. You know, exactly. uh, and that just gives me bad memories because that's like, yeah, for obvious reasons, but also where it was like literally no one else in the world uh, even noticed the Cardinals were there, um, which they kind of weren't there. They were pretty pathetic, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I actually watched uh, Fever Pitch, the uh, the baseball Fever Pitch movie with Jimmy Fallon. I watched it on a plane yeah. about three weeks ago. I'd never ever watched it before, just because I, I didn't want to experience that. But it was, you know, it was like one of the you know dozen or whatever movies I had available, and I was like, oh, okay, it's enough time has passed. I can I can watch this. So. It's supposed to be terrible, right? Uh, yeah, it- I, you know, it was like. Um, it's not. It's not great. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for baseball movies too. And I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, the, the the story too. Like, you know, his his wife kind of is, you know, m- much more successful than him, and then sort of comes to learns to her horror, like what a baseball fan he is. And so, not without divulging too much personal information, there was certainly some, you know, resonance to my own life as I watched that as well. So uh, <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> Well, I, I do remember, and I should note that Grandel just hit a two-run homer. So this game is far from over. Four-three Cardinals. Oh, yeah. uh, bottom of the eighth, one out. Um, but I, I do remember because uh, I just felt like I owed it to them to stick it out to the bit, until the bitter end. So I watching the last out of that World Series, and all of a sudden being like, well, "Was that Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon jumping around on the field? Yeah. Like, what is yeah. happening?" I had no idea that they were doing that kind of silly filming thing. And I'm almost even now like surprised, like they were able to allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my understanding is they, they, they kind of went back. That was all reshoots because the, you know, they, they basically, the team went on this run and they realized, well, this movie's not going to pull Cause the, I think it was originally going to be just, you know, the sort of, you know, forever hapless Red Sox. And then uh, that, happened, okay. that was going to happen before the film came out. I, I, I could be wrong. I'm, this is, I'm remembering from a long time ago, but yeah. I feel like that was sort of the, the order of events there. That I think, I think I recall hearing that as well. So that does make sense. Um, we have gone about, I guess, 40 minutes. Uh, like I said, the Cardinals are clinging to a one run lead in the yeah. bottom of the eighth. We uh, still have to do the chirp of the week. And like last time, I'm going to turn this over to you, Ben. Um, what do you have for the chirp of the week? If you don't have anything else to comment on uh, any of the various things we've already uh, 
No, on about. no, I was, uh, I was hoping, I was hoping we'd touch on uh, Ken Burns baseball and uh, <laughs> you know the uh, the the Jimmy Fallon Drew Barrymore uh, fever pitch. So we've covered everything else. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, for having me on and uh, uh, asking me to you know pitch in a, a chirp of the week here. And I actually, I there was something I've been kind of looking up, and I I think this is probably going to be my uh, Viva Alberto's post for the week. So that'll be going up, I think, about the same time this uh, podcast goes live, but. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Matt Carpenter over the last, you know, few weeks and in some ways reacting to the kind of social media vitriol, uh, you know, flowing towards Matt Carpenter as, you know, he's, uh, you know, what started out as like, oh, he's kind of starting off slow and then, you know, oh, he's not doing well and then, oh, he's injured and okay, he's back. No, he's still not doing well. You know, um, it's, it's been a pretty bad season for Matt Carpenter and, uh, it's certainly possible given his age that we're, you know, really kind of watching the end of the line with Matt Carpenter. Uh, that said, I've just been really taken aback by the, uh, again, just the kind of vitriol I've seen from people, but also what to me has felt like a lot of revisionist history from people kind of, you know, basically dismissing, you know, Matt Carpenter was never that good, et cetera, et cetera. And in my reaction, as I'd see this stuff was just kind of, you know, what are you talking about? Matt Carpenter is, you know, has been the best hitter on this team in this decade, you know, uh, and uh, he is a, you know, absolute like first time on the ballot, red jacket Cardinals Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I felt like that was true. That was kind of my reaction. But the more people that I see kind of with this you know, real anti-Carpenter thing, I thought, well, let me, like, let me go back and look at this. And and for some reason, to me, it really hinged on this idea of sort of that, you know, best hitter of the decade kind of came to mind, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. who is the, who is this, you know, best hitter of the 2010s? Um, you know, and someone could say, well, that's arbitrary to just kind of pick a decade. And it's like, well, that's true, except that's exactly what we do for everything, right? We have 90s music, we have 80s music, right? We don't have like, you know, 1994 to 2004, you know, music, right? That's just, that's how our brains work. So, so it's a, you know, it's a fair point, but I also just thought, you know, I really feel like Carpenter has been that guy that's been the most productive hitter on this team for this decade. And um, so I kind of thought, well, let me go and see if I can look at this and find some numbers. So, you know, as I looked at it, I, I kind of decided to look at uh, weighted weighted runs created. So not weighted runs created plus or any kind of rate statistic, because, you know, obviously that doesn't account for who produced over a period of time. So I thought weighted runs created is, is the, the thing I want to look at here. You know, who who basically created the most uh, with their bat. Uh, and so I looked kind of over. Uh, decades. All right. And the other thing I I thought you can always test something like this with is, you know, well, I can look at who's that person from 2010 to 2019. But I thought, well, what if I go back and I look at other decades, too, and I see who that person is, you know, and if it's always someone who's like, really exceptional, well, that's a good sign that this is kind of a good, good measure of, you know, quality over this decade, you know, if you've got some real kind of randos popping in, it's like, well, maybe this is a little more of a flukish kind of thing. So, so I went back and I looked, uh, you know, to no surprise uh, in the 2000s. So from 2000 to 2009, Albert Pujols had the most weighted runs created on the Cardinals with uh, 1,295. Uh, in the 90s, it was Ray Lankford with 814. Uh, in the 80s, it was Ozzie Smith with 557 and Willie McGee very close with 507. Okay. Um, in the 70s, it was uh, Ted Simmons with 837, and then Lou Brock with 723, okay? 
So there I've gone back, uh, you know, 40 years. And I think if you were to say to somebody who was the best hitter of each of those decades, I mean, don't you feel like those are exactly the names that you would have would have said for each of those decades? Absolutely. If you would have asked me to guess, uh, I probably even would have said Ozzy in the 80s, although that one's a little harder. But, you know, he was he was the guy who was with the team from, you know, almost beginning to end. He came over in 82. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so if you look in from 2010 to 2019, who is that person for the St. Louis Cardinals? It's Matt Carpenter with 714. And then you've got Yachty at 631, and you've got Matt Holiday at 614. Okay. So not only is, is, has Matt Carpenter been the guy with that, that leader in weighted runs created for that last decade, he's you know, producing a total that's, that's you know, right in line with, who, with what a lot of these guys have you know, produced over, uh, over the previous decades, you know, be it a Ray Lankford, be it an Ozzie Smith, be it a Ted Simmons, uh, et cetera. So to me, I thought, you know, this is just another, you know, to, to me, if you say who is the best Cardinals hitter, who's the most productive Cardinals hitter of the 2010s, I think your answer has to be Matt Carpenter. Uh, is he the, was he the best player of the last decade? No, that was Yadier Molina. And Yadier Molina is, you know, well ahead of him on, on war because, you know, Yadier's defensive numbers are just, you know, insane, um, you know, et cetera. It doesn't mean Matt Carpenter is a, a baseball Hall of Famer. Of course not. He's not that good, but he's absolutely a Cardinals Hall of Famer. He's absolutely been, uh, you know, the best hitter of the last decade. And I think that's how we're always going to remember him. And, and I hope that people don't drift too far to um, – you know, uh, just, just, you know, looking down on him, uh, just because, uh, yeah, kind of while we're in that sort of murky twilight of his career. So anyway, that was kind of what I came up with for the, uh, for the chirp of the week. No, th- that is great stuff. I, 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 as you were talking, I was trying to think what's my signature Matt Carpenter moment. And I think it really is that at bat against Kershaw in game six in 2013 of the, uh, NLCS when, what, what was it? Like a 12 pitch at bat. Um, and it culminated with him basically breaking that game wide open. Um, That was such a wonderful Matt Carpenter moment. But that's just one of many when you think about it. I mean, the very next season Mm -hmm. uh, when he took that first pitch off Kershaw uh, in that wonderful – what was that, the eighth inning when they they tacked on all those runs to steal game one against the Dodgers in the NLDS? Uh, You had that game last Mm -hmm. year at Wrigley with the three home runs and the two doubles. Yep. Uh, you know, I still wonder what would have happened if they hadn't taken Carpenter out that game, which, you know, sounds silly, but he really was so locked in. I almost feel like, oh, yeah, he absolutely would have hit a home run. Well, he would have hit it off a position player in that last at bat, too. I feel like that's a case where, yeah, just, you know, like leave him in, let him take, you know, Ben Zobrist or whoever was pitching deep, you know. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, yeah. But no, I I have nothing but uh, love and appreciation for Matt Carpenter. And I, I always uh, kind of quickly moving away from Matt Carpenter. That's one of the things I always loved about Langford, how his career almost perfectly matched up with the 90s. Uh, you know, because it, he came in, he debuted, what, late in 1990, if I recall. And, but had his, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but had his first full season in 91. Um, and then was through with the team through 2000, um, came back for that. Uh, run again in 04 but he basically saw every minute of the 1990s with the Cardinals and has you know the dominant stats to show for it 
as I was talking, I just got a note that Ben Godar's uh, computer died. Um, but we're about to cut it off anyway. Uh, so we will go ahead and do that now. Um, I'd like to thank him again for stepping in as a great guest, as he always is. You can follow Ben on uh, Twitter, um, at Ben Godar, and you should read him every week at Viva Alberto's. Uh, you know, I think it's the part where I say subscribe, do all that stuff to the podcast, rate and review it if you so desire. And thank you for tuning in. Uh, it should be Tara and I next week. Have an awesome week and go Cardinals.